everybody, welcome to episode 3 of Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Andrew. I'm Tara. And this is part 3 of our 3726 part series where we randomly pick a movie from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide that either of us have seen, watch it, and then give our thoughts about the movie as well as whatever interesting information we can find. We are in no way affiliated with Scarecrow Video, and all views and opinions are our own. Hopefully that's abundantly clear so we don't have an army of lawyers coming after us. In our last episode, we watched Lilia Forever, which we both agreed is an excellent movie, although it's it's definitely not an easy watch by any means. Good, but uh, not lighthearted fare by any stretch of the imagination. It's definitely not something you're going to be like, how many times have you watched this movie? Oh, I've watched this one a hundred times. Yeah, like, no. It's, it's not going to be... It's a one and done, probably, yeah. unless you're like a masochist. So we talked about the plot last time, and one thing that we didn't really mention was that when we were looking up information about the movie after the fact, we realized that the director had set out with the intention to make a movie about God's benevolence, which... Maybe you should have gone back to the drawing board on that one if that's uh, how you intended the movie to turn out. I'm not entirely sure how successful it was. It didn't seem like God was being super benevolent to Lilia and Vodya. To be fair, we are uh, godless heathens, so I don't know, maybe we just have a poor conception of what uh, God's benevolence is supposed to be like. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, just like showing the picture of the two angels a lot and (laughs) having the two kids wear angel wings at the end. That's it. Um, that's it. Mission accomplished. Yeah, good job. Yeah. It was kind of a bummer, and I think, I'm, I'm hoping that this next movie that we end up picking is not so much of a bummer, otherwise it might just be like... Podcast cancelled. So one thing I've already found fascinating is in the two episodes we've done so far, there was a huge disparity between the movies. The first episode we watched Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, and then episode two, Lilia Forever, so I have no idea... What crazy red we're in for today. I picked the movie last time, so it's uh, Tara's turn to, uh, to pick. If you want to just close your eyes. My eyes are closed. So I'm just flipping through. Flipping through. You tell me. When. Stop. Okay. And then right, down a little. I am and blindly touching. You're touching the movie? Okay, movie. that's it. All right, so let me take a look at this. Lilia Forever, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> that, that is actually the one saving grace. We're not going to be watching movies that we've already seen. So yeah. that, uh, we're not. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the Lilia Forever yeah. podcast where we watch this movie four, every week. Four episodes in a row, I guess. Yeah, that's, we roll the dice, that's what we got. So it's Alexander Nevsky. Uh, oh. Have you heard of this? I've heard of the name. Okay, yes. I'm totally unfamiliar. Yeah, so 1938. It's directed by Sergei Eisenstein. It says, Unable to find work for years because of his failed attempt to escape the control of Stalin, Eisenstein was tossed to Alexander Nevsky as a bone to prove his loyalty. Forced to co-direct the film with Stalin's spy Dmitry Vasilyev, Eisenstein nonetheless achieved a major masterpiece in his first sound film. The Asian Mongols and the German Teutonic Knights invade Russia on both sides. Prince Alexander Nevsky is called back into service to raise up the Russian armies and drive out the invaders. Nevsky's armies are successful after a mammoth battle on the fields near Novgorod, where Nevsky wisely drives the Germans onto a frozen lake. Masterfully edited, the film uses carefully drawn compositions and the reversal of black and white to represent good and evil. 
Composer Sergei Prokofiev, given access to less than perfect equipment, creates a rousing score, mixing battle cries and vocals as if they were instruments. The film was used by Stalin as a propaganda war cry to improve morale in Russia when Germany threatened its borders at the onset of World War II. Eisenstein won the approval of Stalin to move forward directing his final and most epic work, Ivan the Terrible, parts one and two. I've, I've definitely heard about this movie and am very interested to watch it. Yep, not familiar, but uh, it doesn't sound like a total bummer. So yeah. that's a step, uh, well, not I don't want to say it's a step up, but it's kind of a relief. I'm looking forward to seeing a piece of Russian propaganda, especially in light of our current political situation. But um, Yeah, we're going to be big Stalin supporters after <laughs> we finish watching this. So Yeah, I'm glad Stalin's still around yeah. <laughs> in power. He carried his movement forward. The ghost of Stalin. Compels That's us. Really, compels Putin. Kind of an interesting coincidence that our movie today is also set in either Russia or a part of the former Soviet Union. Welcome to Taryn Andrews' Russian-based movie podcast. Yeah, uh, I'm glad to see something set in that part of the world where maybe it's not quite so depressing. Not something that's quite so bleak and gray, you know, maybe, you we're know. Hoping. Honestly, it's a movie from 1938, there's going to be a lot of gray. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally a lot, a lot of gray. But hopefully the costumes that were used actually had some color to them, so I don't know, maybe the gray won't be quite as oppressive as the dark gray sadness of Lilia Forever. Trying not to make a reference to Fifty Shades of Grey. Podcast cancelled. Hey, speaking of acts, we are back. Before we get into spoiler territory, we should probably say whether or not we would recommend a movie. I came up with a five-point scale that we can oh. rank the, the movies on, so I think this will be helpful for, for the future as well. Okay, in, in order from uh, worst to best, uh, our options are don't watch, maybe don't watch, eh, maybe watch, and then uh, the best option would be don't not watch. Don't not watch. Don't not watch. <laughs> Highest ranking oh, that's, that you can that's get. That's going to be very it's, catchy. It's, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's going to really take the world by storm. Should we look on the count of three? Sure. One, two, three. Maybe Four. don't watch. Maybe don't watch? Yeah. I said maybe watch. I guess it depends on why you'd be watching it. Obviously, this film has been very influential, so if you're interested in seeing the basis for a lot of battle scenes that have come up in movies or the relationship between a movie and the soundtrack mm -hmm. like i think those are valid reasons to watch it i think a lot of the shots are really well composed and maybe don't watch and maybe watch we're we're uh, kind of at odds here with our opinion yeah. but that's how it goes i want to hear why you say maybe don't watch. maybe don't watch yeah i guess i should justify why you wanted to <laughs> why you said maybe watch it just let it sit there let people ponder it was technically competent, and uh, you know the soundtrack was really influential for a lot of composers. Um, but I think just it drug on way too long, and I, I think like the battle scenes were the battle scene really 
it wasn't executed as well as looking at it from a modern perspective we're spoiled for how great battle scenes look now and how, yeah. how well they're done considering this is still fairly early on in the history of filmmaking this was a piece of propaganda and there was heavy involvement from stalin and people who were part of his regime so given the circumstances it turned out as well as it possibly could have I think. yeah but if someone were to ask me, hey, should I watch Alexander Nevsky? I'd be like, probably not. It, it yeah. depends on how much you want to sort of learn about this time in history. Like talking to anywhere in person, maybe I wouldn't say. I don't know. Rush out and watch this. Yeah, I wouldn't tell everybody, oh my god, you have to see this movie. I guess if you're listening to a podcast about movies, you probably are going to be more likely to be interested in something like this, especially if you're listening to this particular podcast. Yeah. If you didn't see what movie we were reviewing and just check out immediately, then okay, I'll upgrade it to, uh, eh. I'm not trying to make you change no, your opinion. I mean, just because we're married, we don't have to have the same opinion. Yes, we do. <laughs> I felt more ambivalent about it. Sure. I wasn't like, that was a waste of time. It was just like, I could take it or leave it. Fair enough. I guess we'll kind of we'll briefly go over the uh, plot here, and there's not a whole lot of, to go over. The movie starts with... A kind of silly scene, in a way, but there are a lot of kind of silly scenes throughout. It's Alexander Nevsky with a group of fishermen. By the way, Alexander Nevsky means Alexander of the Neva River, which is that river where he apparently beat the Swedes. Yeah. That wasn't his, his actual name. His given name. Uh a group of Mongolians on horses ride through and go, we want you to become one of our commanders. And he's like, nah. No, I'm good. Also, you guys are scaring the fish, so hush. And so he's, I guess, in hot demand because uh, of their, their victory over the Swedes in a battle that had taken place not too long before. When he was 19, apparently. He turns down the Mongols and then they, they ride off and then we find out the Teutonic Knights have captured Vizkov. There's all this hubbub in Novgorod, and there's a brief debate, and then they're like, well, let's get to Alexander to help us fight off the army. They cut to Pizkov, and they show the, the knights, and for a movie made that long ago, they are... Cartoonishly evil? Cartoonishly evil, but also, like, definitely menacing. I mean, I think... Yeah, we, very menacing. The armor that they wear, it's uh, made so that you can't really see their faces at all. It's, it's kind of dehumanizing, but also intimidating. And it's, I guess it's true to what the Teutonic Knights actually wore. We were looking into that. At least as far as we could tell from a quick Google image search. Uh, yeah. My, my caveat there is, who knows how many of those images were directly influenced by this movie versus that's just how they've always been depicted. Right. I don't know. So yeah, the, the knights are definitely depicted as a pretty unquestionably awful group of people murdering villagers indiscriminately. Culminating in them grabbing children and throwing them into a fire. Yeah, I think we were both watching this and we're like, whoa, whoa, movie. Hang on there. Back back it up. What are you doing? They didn't come into this movie expecting to see toddlers thrown into a bonfire, but I mean, it's effective. It shows you the, the nature of, uh, of this invading force. At least from a Russian perspective. From, yeah. Uh, so take it with a grain of salt. And then that's basically it for the main plot line. Like, they establish that the knights are pretty awful, and then there is a lot of military strategizing and then a lengthy battle. I think it could have benefited from being heavily edited. The weapons were really obviously fake. Uh, a lot of the scenes were kind of goofy. I felt like they could have set it to Yakety Sax, and it would have been 
not entirely <laughs> inappropriate. Some of the scenes I think were well done standing and watching this enemy force approach you and then some of the chaos was fairly apt but then you don't really see a guy moving an axe to his left and then to his right with a grin on his face <laughs> tapping like, people on the, the helmet with like the back not using an axe like you would expect an axe to be used necessarily. yeah so one thing i wanted to mention the one dude on the Teutonic Knights, he's like playing a travel pipe organ. I'm wondering like, oh, well, maybe that was an inspiration for the Doof Warrior. And... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought the same exact thing. Was, yeah. Oh, okay. Mad was, Max Fury Road. It was, for uh, those of you who have no idea what we were talking about then. That was, uh, that was something. All right. For a piece of propaganda, I was a little surprised by how much comedy was in that scene and movie. Right. And, and speaking of comedy, uh, in addition oh. to the whole lead up to the battle and the battle itself, there's this weird romantic, yeah, romantic subplot that doesn't have any basis in reality as, as far as we could tell. Those two dudes apparently were real, but there's... Yeah, they're two like, kind of prominent soldiers in Alexander's army. They're both vying for the affection of this lady named Olga. She decides that whoever does the best in battle will get to marry her. So the, these two guys, I think one of them says, you know, I'm handsome and I'm full of life. And you're looking at him, you're like, dude, you're... You're not as handsome as the other guy. You're not really that handsome. I'm not saying the other guy is like a, a catch no. either necessarily. But he, he is definitely more of a heartthrob than, <laughs> yeah. than the, the guy with the bull cut. Definitely. Yes. At the end of the movie, after the big battle, his mother is kind of chiding him because, well, I guess he didn't really lose. No, he, he, he willingly. And people don't even necessarily know this. So Olga is torn. Both of these guys pulled through and they made it through the battle and she has no idea which one to choose. So she goes to Alexander Nevsky in front of the whole crowd of Novgorod. So she goes up to him and says, help me choose. I don't know which one to pick. Volkut goes up and, and he says, I would like to say otherwise, but I definitely wasn't the bravest one out there. That honor goes to this woman, Vasilisa, who was the best fighter. And then I'd say after her was my buddy, more conventionally attractive dude. I'm sorry, I don't remember their names exactly. So that's what we're going to call uh, Good enough. After making the statement, Volkut's mom smacks him verbally by saying, you have disgraced your mother. I wanted you to get married. Good this job with got, the battle, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you survived this battle, but also now you're telling people that you weren't the bravest warrior. You've shamed me. Uh, Bullcut's like, whoa, 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 mom. Scanning like, we're gonna, I gotta find some woman that uh, that I can marry real quick just to get her off my back. Yeah. Bullcut's like, I want to marry Vasilisa. How would you like to have her as a daughter-in-law? And they're both grinning and like, oh, okay. Well, here we go then. This is great. I'm, I'm just so glad that the women in this movie have a yeah. lot of agency. Yeah. And she never says yes, but she's just like grinning like, okay, yeah, we're getting married. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You're you're a woman who was called the bravest person in battle, but you're willing to marry this like... Doofus. Total doofus with a weird grin and an awful bowl cut. You know, maybe, takes all kinds. Maybe she, does, she really did want to marry him. Yeah. I don't know. We'll never know what we'll, this fictional woman yeah. wanted to do. There was one huge diss, I think, at the end of the movie where the leader of the Teutonic Knights... Alexander says, I'm going to trade you for some soap. You're yeah. so shitty. He knows the only thing that he'll get for you is soap. You know, they were probably pretty dirty after that battle movie. They actually just they, yeah. they soap pretty badly. Yeah, I guess they didn't have soap in Russia in <laughs> right, 1242. They, it's pretty clear throughout the, the course of the movie that it, it's propaganda. I mean, pretty clear to us. We have the hindsight to help us and also a lot of articles 
pointing out how it was propaganda, but they banged that drum pretty hard. Every other sentence that came out of Alexander was a was a proverb of some kind. And the way that they portrayed the Teutonic Knights, I got a hugely anti-Catholic vibe from it. And just to go without, it goes without saying anti-German, which considering what was going on between Russia and Germany makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and the movie just basically ends with this uh, inspirational quote, I guess you could say, from Alexander. Go tell all in foreign lands that Russia lives. Those who come to us in peace will be welcome as a guest, but those who come to us sword in hand will die by the sword. Given that Russia was concerned about Germany moving in on them in 1939 when the movie was being finished up, it's pretty clear what they were getting at there. The other quote that really struck me in a similar light was when Alexander says something along the lines of, those Russians who leave Russia are traitors. Yeah, not, not don't, super A, simple. don't leave Russia, and B, if you come here wanting to fight, you're going to die. Maybe a little heavy-handed, but I guess propaganda is, by its nature, kind of heavy-handed. So, so that's the movie, basically. After we finished watching the movie, we were looking at the review from The Guardian. They, they broke it down. And in terms of entertainment value, they gave the movie a B plus. But then uh, in terms of historical value, they gave it a C-, minus, uh, which seems pretty accurate. Yeah. Like, maybe even, I would say, generous. A little generous, yeah. There, there were a couple of things in particular that we found out after the fact that didn't really match up with what happens in the movie. Or at least weren't made clear. So, for example, they don't mention that the estimate is there were roughly 2,600 Teutonic Knights who were part of this crusade, whereas on the Russian side they had 5,000 troops. So they make it seem like the, the Russians are... Kind of like an underdog, but really, I wouldn't call any army an underdog when they've got almost double the amount of soldiers. Yeah, some selective omission there. And then at the beginning of the movie, when Alexander meets with the, the Mongols, he turns down their offer to join them. But in actuality, he did join them. He, he didn't do it formally until 10 years after the major battle that uh, they depict in the movie happened. But he didn't rebuff them like the movie suggests he did. Yeah, he, he definitely was allied with the uh, grandson of Genghis Khan. The culmination of the battle is this whole scene on a lake where Alexander and the Russians have got the Teutonic Knights penned in on this lake. And then the ice starts breaking up and they've fallen and drown. I, without even having to look it up afterwards, was calling bullshit. I can't imagine any army would keep walking further out into a lake where the ice is so thin that it's breaking up. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Sure enough, there wasn't no talk by any of the scholars who wrote about this battle saying that, that any of them fell into the ice. They, yeah. they got spooked off. Right. Once the reinforcements showed up, they're yeah. like, they, they kind of threw in the towel. So this whole battle was part of the Northern Crusades where the Roman Empire was going after pagans and those who practiced Eastern Orthodox Christianity. After the results of this battle, they didn't attempt that for at least like another hundred years. The score um, was influential on a lot of other scores. And I think that the most notable one that they reference is like the, the main baseline from Jaws actually was derived from elements of this score, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. One thing that I read was that it was a highly collaborative effort between Eisenstein and Prokofiev, who did the music. Some of the music was composed based on the footage, and then some of the footage was shot based off of the musical composition. So it was a very collaborative effort to match up the music with the visuals, which was that in and of itself was highly influential. 
I don't know how many films had actually done that around that time. Some of the sound quality wasn't too great, and, and some of the tones seemed to be shifting. This yeah. is uh, the very first film that Eisenstein had directed with sound, so it's pretty impressive. Apparently, the St. Petersburg Philharmonic Orchestra had recorded a version of the score that was used on VHS and Laserdisc versions that were issued around 1995 that never made it onto the DVD version. Apparently, the score is probably a lot better than the version we heard. There's probably a lot more intricacies to it and a lot less weird tone shifting. Uh, hey, everybody. I just had to kind of bust in here with some breaking news. Not so much breaking news as much as it is breaking the fourth wall and uh, destroying your podcast immersion. So uh, sorry about that. At this point in the podcast, our intention had been to briefly kind of talk about a movie that we had seen at SIF that we had liked a whole lot. But after we talked about it and recorded that, we both realized that during the process of talking about it, we, we basically gave away some massive spoilers that would be best be left unspoken. So uh, we decided to edit that out of this podcast, and we'll try to talk about it with the, uh, the next episode. With that being said, I'm going to kick this back over to past Tara and Andrew. Bye-bye. So we wanted to thank Boat for allowing us to use their song lately off of the album Set in the Cases. Uh, Boat are great. Check them out. Yeah, I guess that's it. Catch you later, potato heads. <laughs>